Thank you for tuning into Destiny House Church as we seek to draw closer to Jesus. We're so glad you've joined us today. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Court or one of the other anointed speakers as we pursue the Father's heart.
right to being the only ones that Absolutely. believe in revival and have revival. Yeah. Amen. That a Methodist church can have revival. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. Simply so got our branch off the Methodist way, way back. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, so I think I think some Methodists are getting the Holy Ghost this week. Amen. Amen. If you're a Methodist and you're visiting today, we love you. Despite, no, I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, some takeaways right now that, that I, I kind of read a post the other day and been watching some videos. Um, there's one piano player. There's one guitar player. There's not even a full drum set, just a single drum. There's hard chairs and hard pews, an ugly interior. The lights don't dim. No one is serving donuts and coffee there. Not a single smoke machine. No fancy lights. No timers. No perfect productions. No evangelists. Hmm. No leader and no teams. No hierarchy or no competition. No kids class. No infant care. Nobody greets you in the parking lot. Literally no structure whatsoever. Huh. I wonder what that implication is. Maybe... Apparently, the only thing needed to attract God is people worshiping God. <laughs> the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And can I tell you that these, these, these young people and many people are visiting, I believe, are being changed by the Holy Ghost. And guess what? We can be changed to today. You can allow the Holy Spirit to visit you right now and, and dwell in you right now and give you fire right now. You don't have to wait for the sermon to be over. In fact, let's go ahead and take a break, praise break right now. Let's lift him up right now. Come on, stand right here. Pretty much since we got here three years ago, that simple and pure and to the point is worth a whole lot in the kingdom of God. And we don't need more lights. We don't need more signs or facade. We don't need, um, you know, what's, what's the joke? I don't, I don't need it. Well, this is a joke with senior pastors, so I'll just tell it to you. It's a private joke, but I don't care. We don't need more worship pastors that look like teenagers. We don't need worship pastors in skinny jeans. We don't need more fog machines. We don't need any of that. What we need is a pure, undefiled remnant of God in this place. When I lose a little bit more weight, Skinny jeans? No, I'm not. No, no. Those only fit Cooper, my three-year-old. Praise God. 
First Timothy chapter 4. I've got quite a few things that I believe the Lord wants to say this morning. I know we've got food downstairs and you guys are probably already hungry, but just hang with me. Let me submit a few thoughts to you today. Uh, a couple of processes I want to just briefly talk about this morning. If you can bear with me in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in, starting in verse 1 um, in the New King James. <clears throat> now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. There is a new, <clears throat> this is not a new word, but the definition has changed, and the word that I want to talk about briefly this morning is deconstruction. This new meaning, this new definition of deconstruction in the context of faith, deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with, the Christian fundamental beliefs that you grew up with. There are actually websites right now that are attracting um, school-age kids, teenagers, and uh, college kids and these websites are specifically set up by the enemy to help deconstruct the faith of the young people in America by taking scripture out of context and taking things biblical out of context. This, has the enemy always done this, by the way? Right? Did, did the enemy do this to Jesus before he started his, his earthly three and a half years of ministry during his fast? Didn't, didn't the enemy use scripture to try to sway him to break his fast and, and, and to do evil things? The enemy is not, there's, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, but because of technology, there is a, a larger spread, not only of evil, but because of technology, there is a larger spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Amen. which we should be excited about. Because no time in history other than in the last 10 to 12 years are we able to literally reach the uttermost parts of the world. And God is using technology to do that. So this deconstruction, and I just want you all to understand this before I move on. Deconstruction is a process. Deconversion is the result. To bring, and I have seen this in my own family, and I'm sure you guys get, get sick of me saying this, but I can only give you the story of my life. I can't present to you effectively the story of somebody else's life. I only can talk about the things truly meaningful that are going on in my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I have seen my own children deconstruct why? Based on what the church is doing, our kids have seen Candace and I go through a lot of hardship and issues and trauma in the 23 years that I've been in ministry. 
And the enemy will use uh, anything he can to dissect the word of God out of your life so that you begin to start believing, I'm still a Christian, but what you're doing now is you've become a worshiper of this world. You've become a worshiper of what the Antichrist is setting up. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is coming back soon. And you've got to be ready. And I know, I know some of you think that I evangelize you too much. And I talk about salvation too much. And I say too much about your sin. But I'm going to tell you today, if, I, if you ever hear me stop talking about your sin and my sin, y'all need to take a vote and vote me out. Because I no longer belong in the ministry if we are not addressing the sin and the decay and the cancer that is still in the body of Christ. There's a lot of different reasons for deconstructing. We must understand, as I just said a minute ago, in regards to my own family, that, that people are deconstructing because of hurt that they've experienced in a church that proclaims to love Jesus. Many of you in here have been wounded and cut open and dismembered by church leadership in your past. And there's a part of you, just like there's a part of me, that sometimes says... Man, I hate church life. Oh, y'all don't want to be real today? Amen. Y'all want to talk about holiness, but not really do it, huh? Do it. What you say behind closed doors to your spouse and to your family about the things that you have seen, endured, and dealt with in the body of Christ and those honest moments we got to be honest on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights as well. We've got to be honest in front of every situation that we have in our lives. And we've got to be honest about pulling down these strongholds in Christ Jesus. Not in you, but in Him. You don't have the power to pull down strongholds. No matter, no matter what new Christian book you have read, you ain't got that power. The power resides in Jesus. Years ago, when I was still in hospice care and I was an executive director, I had this amazing CNA. Her name was Robbie Lynn. And Robbie Lynn was the most requested CNA by every single family and every hospital and every skilled nursing because she became a family member to every person that was dying. She was the, she was, I, I paid her twice as much. As any I, I paid her as a CNA. I paid her what I paid some of my LVNs. And I didn't care who complained about it. Pa oh, they didn't call me pastor. Of course, that would be weird. Hey, <laughs> Court, why, why is she getting paid twice as much? Well, let me tell you why. Because Robbie Lynn walks into a home and she becomes a part of that family. And she, when she is cleaning that patient that can't get out of bed and can't roll over, she is treating that person like her own mom or dad. 
She's not doing a quick wipe down and heading out the door. She's spending time and making sure that when that family comes home, the sheets are perfect, the hair is perfect, the nails are perfect. Even if that person always wore makeup and they can't, she would put makeup on them without even asking the family. And she would do it all and she would clean them up and they would, you would walk into that room and it was the aroma of that room would be like heaven. And so one day, Robbie Lynn called me. She was, she was off shift, and she called me probably at about 11 p.m. This is probably 10 years ago now. And at that point, she was attending a church that Candace and I used to attend when I was running a drug rehab center in downtown Houston. And she called me, and she called me in tears. And she said, Court, I don't know what to do. My daughter's son was just raped in the bathroom of the church by the youth pastor. She said, I don't know what to do. I said, well, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to call the police and we're going to get the law out there. And we talked and we talked and weeks and weeks went on and he went before a judge and this person didn't serve any time in jail because there was no proof. There was, no, there was not good enough legal proof in order to sentence him. And so I give you this example because many things happen in church life and the outside world sees that and they begin to deconstruct and the, the enemy works on them. And I want you to listen to this. Because some of you have deconstructed to an extent, and I have deconstructed to an extent where we start looking at God through the lens of people, but we're never supposed to look at the Father through the lens of humanity. We look at the Father through the lens of His Son, our Messiah, the best carpenter that ever lived. You don't look at Jesus through the eyes of your pastor. Your pastor is wacky. Far too much feedback. Praise God. It's so true though. Using the analogy of a house. One can contrast deconstruction in the midst of Renovation. Renovation means maybe knocking some walls down to let some more light in, or maybe installing some, some new windows, or maybe redoing a kitchen or a, a bathroom and redoing floor and counters and all these great things in an expensive renovation that change the context of your home. But with deconstruction, the problem with deconstruction is deconstruction is like a, a sledgehammer to a, a load-bearing wall. This is what the enemy does. He wants to come in to your spiritual house and he wants to knock down every wall that's load-bearing. He doesn't care about the walls that have no use at all. He cares about the things that are going to hold up the body of the house and the roof and all the weight. So he comes in with a sledgehammer and through deconstruction he starts beating on the 2 by 4s and 4 by 4s of your house that are actually holding your house up. 
Bible tells us. Romans 14.1 Welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. People are, dis are deconstructing right now because the enemy is saying, hey, look over there at that church. They got people that are upset with the pastor. They got people divided. They got an adulterous affair going on. Look at that church. And people start looking on the outside. You know, the, the first tabernacle, the outside of the tabernacle was covered with badger skins. So if you looked at the tabernacle, for you'd be like, what? I'm not going to worship there. It's badger skins. People in America, I'm going to tell you what, and this revival going on right now proves this point that I'm about to make. That if you look at the outside of a church and you judge the outside of a church on the anointing, you're going to be sadly mistaken. Because some of the ugliest churches on the outside that have a congregation of 10 or 12 people are seeing the manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because they are in unity. They are encouraged daily in the faith to live for Jesus and stop talking about petty crap. I'm going to get to more crap in a minute. Hold on. <laughs> Jude one twenty two says, Have mercy on those who doubt. Man, we should be open arms with people that aren't trying to be holier than that. Thank you, Jesus. Send me more people that don't know the word. Send me more people that, that want to be teachable. Send me more people that actually want to get rooted in a church and not leave every 30 days when they get offended with a sermon like this. I'm going to take a vacation every other week now. <laughs> the board's like, no, you're not. <laughs> oh, yes, I am. I want to tell you guys a parable that Jesus gave us. Let me slow down a little bit here. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 21, starting in verse 28, the parable of two sons. Many of you know it well. He says, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it, the son did, and then went out to work. Then he came to the second son and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Jesus asked the question, which of these did the will of his father? Well, the answer is very simple here. They said the first. Of course, they were wrong. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors, and by the way, if you want to know the, how God really feels about people and the gospel as it relates to people, it's written right here. Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots or prostitutes enter this kingdom of God before you do. He's talking to these Pharisees and Sadducees that are, that are cornering him and, and questioning him. 
For John came to you in the way of righteousness. Righteousness means right standing or right relationship with God. And you do not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. He's telling these people, because you did not relent, you will not be in the kingdom of God. How many of us today can say, don't raise your hand, don't say amen, but can say internally to yourself in your heart of hearts that you have truly relented your life to God? We must finish stronger than we are right now. You guys know the story. And I'll get back to these two sons in a second. But you know the story in Matthew chapter 25, I believe, where we have ten virgins represented. And all ten of these virgins started out well seeking God, waiting for the bridegroom, getting ready for the bridegroom, getting ready for his appearance, getting ready for his presence. But five of those virgins did not take note of the amount of oil that it would take in order for them to have their light lit long enough for the return or the return, the first return of the bridegroom. It's very sad to me, and I wonder if this is the actual percentage. In my mind, it doesn't take a lot of mathematical skill to realize that that's 50%. 50% of these virgins, 50% of Christians, 50% maybe of this church, I hope to God not, but maybe 50% is the formula and the average we need to go on that 50% believe that they're actually ready for the return of Christ. Maybe 100% believe they're ready, but only 50% are actually ready. All 10 of those virgins believed they were doing the right thing, but they didn't take account. What does the oil represent? The oil represents the presence of God. Without the presence of God in this church, all we have is a social club. Without the presence of God, we have no more healings. We have no more salvations. We have no more deliverance. All we have is religion and people sitting down and eating pasta today. The occasion of Paul's writing to the Thessalonians that I'm about to read, there comes this occasion where he is trying to undo some errors concerning the end times that believers have heard from false teachers. And among the falsehoods was that the day of the Lord had already come in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 2. The Christians in this and Thessalonica were afraid that Jesus had already come. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 12, let me read that to you. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter. As if from us, as the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. 
And the man of sin is revealed. He's talking about the son of perdition, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work and only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus. That they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure and unrighteousness. The Greek word here translated rebellion or falling away in verse 3 is a, apostasia, from which we get the English word apostasy. It refers to a general direction from the true God, the Bible, the Christian faith. What I'm talking about right now is the falling away and the deconstruction of your own families that you're seeing falling away into doctrines of demons there is a church right now that is the most one of the most prolific churches with worship music they're one of the most prolific uh, churches with with growth in the last 15 years and this church the pastor has said that they are trying to take over the world all with the guise of in Christ. But you cannot depart from the true gospel of Jesus and say that you are in Christ. You cannot submit yourself to world authorities or pastors or evangelists or teachers or ministers that are only preaching 98% of the word of God and the 2% of what they believe in their opinion and their power and their authority. It's devastating. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 5, 7, he says this to a person. He says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This, persuasive, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. And he goes on a little leaven and leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will have no other mind, meaning don't be double minded. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul was talking about a person. Who do you have in your life that is hindering you from God? You need to be real about it. No matter who that person is, you need to be real about it. 
And you need to bring that person to God. You need to bring that person to the altar. You need to bring every ideal that you have about being polite and you need to stash it away. You need to be aggressive about your relationship with Jesus every waking moment and every moment that you sleep. Jesus absolutely must be your first love because he refuses to be your second. You think Jesus is going to allow this church to cheat on him and get away with it? This is why I tell you guys, it's not to be mean. I don't, I don't care if you don't like these messages anymore. I'm not here to be your buddy. I'm here to pastor you to get you closer to Jesus. And it is your responsibility to get in your prayer closet and honor him. And stop pretending like you've got more time. You don't. There's no more time left. We are literally at 1159 whether you believe me or not. You better either be excited about Jesus because you're saved or you better get saved so you get excited. Because there's nothing to be excited about. I mean, I don't know how people do it without God. You, you got so, some of us are not necessarily here, but many Christians have so much money. Christians, lower C. They have so much money that they spend all their time on their possessions yeah. instead of the one that is called to possess them, which is God. Yes. And they think that they're safe. Because of the life they have here. They think that they're safe. And y'all can decide to receive this or not. I have, I'm, I'm taking a stance right now in my personal life. Candace has taken a new stance in her personal life. Our marriage right now. We, we are upping our game into the field of righteousness. Amen. No longer. Well y'all say amen and clap now. Let me tell you first. Let me tell you first, you don't know what you're amening yet. There are a lot of things that we have been doing uh, with, with, without the understanding. Granted, hey, we didn't get it. We didn't understand it. We didn't research it. We didn't study it. This is why I'm, on Wednesday, Wednesday nights are important, by the way, for y'all to be here. That's when we get a little bit more in depth about discipleship. We're not just a Sunday morning kind of church. Like it or not. Get involved. Get invested. Get faithful. Amen. Well, Pastor, I got this and I got this. You're always going to have something in your life that comes before God if you allow it to happen. Amen. I get you work. I, I get I work shift work. I was on call for 10 years at all hours of the night. Example I want to give of something that Candace and I are, 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 are heavily bent on right now. Some of you are not going to agree with this. Is the current state of Christian worship in America. I no longer, this church, as long as I'm the pastor, will no longer represent worship teams and songs where the ministry has an outflow of unrighteousness and bad theology. 
It doesn't matter how great the song is. It doesn't matter how, well, pastor, it's the song and it's not the church. Well, listen, what happens when we play, and this is how I feel. I, other people have said this, but this literally is how I feel. Or what the Lord has impressed on me lately. You're not going to like this, but I want you to receive it anyways, and you can throw it up in the parking lot if you feel the need. When we are up here, and we sing a song, and we say, God, this song is for you, but we are maybe the lyrics are perfect, and the music is perfect, and, and it was written perfect, and it's so, so-called Holy Ghost. But if that song is coming out of a ministry that is leading people astray and leading people into a lie, we will not be representing those songs anymore in this church. It doesn't matter if it's your favorite song or, or not. Why? Because what happens? You, maybe you hear the song for the first time. And you leave here. And then maybe you, on Spotify, you look for that song so you can listen to it throughout the week. And then you start listening to other songs by that same group. Oh, hey, it's all innocent at that point. All these things are singing, most of them, not all, are singing about Jesus. 65 to 75% are, are lyrically sound and rooted in the Word of God. But here's the problem. Now you're going to be like, man, where is that music coming from? And then you look up the church. And then you start following the church. And then you look up the pastor. And you start listening to the pastor. And pretty soon I realize I am responsible for introducing a song from this platform that now you follow the track and it introduces you to a false prophet. This is what the enemy does. There's 60% of the songs that I have sang as a worship leader myself, I just trashed in the last three days. You don't have to like it. But we do have to answer to God one day. We do have to answer. And you can take, my theory used to be, oh, if the song is sound, don't worry about it. God's anointed us. Don't worry about the ministry. And some of you are not going to understand what I'm saying right now because you don't have revelation of it. And I'm not saying that to talk down to you. But you simply may not have the revelation that Candace and I have had to search for in the last few weeks. Study. To show yourself approved. There's a story. I'll give an example of this. Lord, will you forgive us? Will you forgive us, God, if we have done anything to introduce anything that would lead anyone astray or cause anyone to stumble into a false theology, a false doctrine? God, will you please forgive me for allowing anything to be sung or taught here in the past? That wasn't of you. It may have sounded good and it may have been encouraging and people may have bought it hook, line, and sinker. But God, it is my responsibility as the pastor. Will you please forgive me?
is serious. A relationship with God is serious. Your relationship with Jesus is supposed to be serious. This is a heaven or hell discussion no matter how you want to twist it or flip it or categorize it. This is about life and death. You can't get your mouth around a spigot of salt water and think that you're going to survive. It's got to be fresh, clean water. Lord, move. Lord, move me. Lord, move. Remove me. There was this family that had a rule of their kids and with the parents of no PG-13 R-rated movies. Some of you have made this, have heard this story. You know, let me get to the punchline, Okay. These three teenage children wanted desperately to see the newest release, which was a hit uh, with their peers in an effort to convince their father to let them see this blockbuster that just came out. They set up a list of pros and cons. They researched and found that there were only three bad words, no explicit sex, um, though some implied, and the only violence was a building exploding, which could be seen on TV. These teens noted that all their friends had seen it and that the movie had a great plot line. I apologize. That Hollywood's finest actors were in it, that people at church said it wasn't very bad and that it would probably win many awards. Their father asked to have time to think about it, and the following day, he had his reply calling in his teens. The father said that they could go to the movie if they would eat a brownie from the plate that he had set on the coffee table. Yet he warned them that, like the movie, the brownies had pros and cons. The pros were that they were made with the finest chocolate and other good ingredients, that they had the added special effect of yummy walnuts in them. The brownies were moist and fresh with wonderful chocolate frosting on top. He had made these fantastic brownies using an award-winning recipe. And best of all, the brownies had been made lovingly by the hand of their own father. The brownies only had one con. The father had included a little bit of a special Ingredient. <laughs> I like this guy. The brownies also contain just a little bit of dog poop. But he had mixed the dough well and assured them so that probably they would not even be able to taste the dog poop. And he had baked it at 350 degrees, so any bacteria or germs from the dog poop had probably been destroyed. Therefore, if any of his children could stand to eat the brownies, which included just a little bit of crap, and not be affected by it, then he knew they would also be able to see the movie with just a little bit of smut, and not be affected. Isn't this what we do, guys? We debate God on what is right and what is wrong. He's already told us what is right and what is wrong. In 23 years of ministry, I've seen people come and go 
in my life, some people I would call best friends. Candace and I have had board members turn on us. We've had leaders turn on us. We've had people in our church turn on our children, isolate them, <coughs> call them names, criticize them. Habakkuk says in the latter days that our, our latter days will be greater than our former days. I'm asking you guys today, everybody seems to be a, a very good starter in this room, including myself. But I wonder if we could all learn to be really good finishers as well. I wonder if we could finish the race, as Paul says, to finish strong, to finish strong for those that are falling away around us so they can see that we are the real deal. So that they can see that we're not aiming for popularity or accolades or neon signs or an article written in a paper about our church that we're simply looking to be like Jesus, to be as close to Jesus as we possibly can until he comes or until we die. We have to finish strong. We have to pray like we've never prayed before. We've got to fast like we've never fasted before. We've got to allow conviction like we've never allowed conviction before. We've got to stay in repentance stronger than we've ever been and ever done before. We've got to trust Jesus like never before. We have to finish the race like those before us did not. I want to finalize on this one scripture and then I'm not going to have the praise team come up. I'm going to pray over the lunch and release you guys downstairs. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 20 to 21, this is an amazing scripture here that most of us don't understand. I'd like to explain it fully. Like the good shepherd he is, Jesus is gentlest with the sheep who need it and, and he'll welcome those with the weakest flickering of faith. It says here that he will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in its name. I want you to understand that this brood reed is, is, is describing a person, the type of a person that has been broken by the weight of sorrow or wounds, scars, sin. Brokenness brought to them, wounds brought to them, gashes brought to them through the hurt of other so-called Christians and so-called prophets and so-called pastors and so-called disciples. And the smoking flax or this smoldering wick as it's described of the lamp which has ceased to burn clearly, the clouded flame of which seems to call for a prompt extinction. God, Jesus doesn't do that. He comes to us at our most broken moment and he says, you're, you're, you're already just about to break in half. I'm not going to be the one that does that. I am a gentle Savior. And even though everybody has told you you've, you're always going to be an alcoholic, 
That you're always going to be addicted to pornography. That you're always going to be addicted to pills. That this cancer is going to ravage your body. I am a Savior that comes in gently and restores you to good health completely and fully. I am a Savior that cares about you based not in some stupid religion that man has created, but an awesome relationship that our Father has created between you and me. Amen? And then he says here, he sends or leads justice to victory. I love this because in the Hebrew, he's, he's talking about what real truth is. And that the only true, real truth is what comes from the throne of God. Did you guys know that? The only true and truth Evidence in, in your life right now is the person of Jesus. Will you stand with me this morning? Maybe we could play a little bit of background music, but I want to just close in prayer. I want you guys just to close your eyes for just a couple of minutes. It's only 11.22. I can do this part in about 30 minutes. <laughs> I want you to close your eyes and I want you to really intently think about where you are in your life right now. What you're willing to do right now. Maybe there's some people in this room today that do not have a relationship with Jesus. God, let us not rush this time. Maybe there's people in here today that maybe you've never had a true relationship with Jesus. You've had church time and you've tithed and you've done some servant roles and you've given and you've, you've done a bunch of cool stuff in your life. But maybe in the last few minutes or the last hour you have realized, am I even a child of God? Have I really been in a relationship with Jesus? For some of you right now, this very moment, on this date, this Sunday, in February of 2023, this could actually be the biggest turning point of your life right now. Your admittance that you're not truly in a relationship with God. Your admittance that you truly are not living a life of repentance unto God. That your admittance of saying, you know what, it's time for me to start a relationship. And I want to remind everybody today that when I call in a second for those to raise their hand and say, you know what, it's time, it's my day. I want you to know that salvation is not just about words that you're speaking. It's about belief. It's about faith in a Savior that died for you. It's about a 181 degree turnaround. It's about starting a relationship with the only man that will attach you to his father, to your father in heaven. 